This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. PennyMac is committed to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, the mortgage industry, and the community, including the promotion of affordable and sustainable home ownership. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services LLC, equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Serving the community is one thing, but also being able to employ is another. And that is equally important because people want to genuinely do business with people that look like them. This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. On Gated Communities, we love to support those in the mortgage industry who are committed to helping underserved borrowers like the Hispanic community. Guild Mortgage is partners with the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals as it continues to strategically grow and expand its impact on diverse communities across the country. Today, we have on Victoria Garcia DeLuca, Guild's VP of Marketplace Diversity Strategy, who also serves on the National Corporate Board of Governors for NAREP to talk about Guild's commitment and why it's important to increase their attention towards the Spanish community. Victoria, thank you for joining us. Yeah, very excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Awesome. And can we start off by maybe you telling us a little bit more about yourself and your position at Guild? Absolutely. So I am originally from Chicago, uh, born and raised. Uh, I, I got into the mortgage industry about 20 some years ago. So don't try to guess my age. Mm-hmm. I actually started as an assistant to a high producing loan officer who was also the president and CEO of the mortgage company. And I quickly learned the ins and outs of everything mortgage on how to talk to customers, learn the lingo, learned guidelines, learned how to structure loans, predominantly all within the Hispanic community in the South side of Chicago. I quickly realized that really putting deals together was something that excited me. So I became a processor and then I quickly became an underwriter. And from there, my career just took off. And I feel like I've done so many different roles within the mortgage industry. So again, everything from as being an assistant, being a processor, being an underwriter, then I went to be a processing manager, then I became a loan officer, then I became a branch manager. And at one point, I had close to like 64 different loan officers reporting under me. And all diverse. So I was bringing in people from many different backgrounds to teach them the business, to help mold them, to coach them on being loan officers. And majority of our focus, my focus was all within the Hispanic community, but then things kind of pivoted a little bit. I took on a position with Wells Fargo and I really enjoyed my position there because they really opened my eyes to so many other markets that I felt were still missing the financial literacy piece. And I felt like with the background that I had and being able to take people from not ready to be mortgage ready to getting them mortgage ready to getting them to the finish line of becoming homebuyers. And this was every background. It was Hispanic, it was Black, it was Asian, it was white. I just was excited about the opportunity of helping more people. And from there, I became a sales manager in diverse segments with Wells Fargo. And I built a team 
And my career took a different turn to go work for a different mortgage company who was also a bank. Uh, I became an area sales manager. And my team was very diverse with the same type of goals, kind of helping those, cause, those, those communities that were first-time homebuyers that were more diverse. And my team became very diverse. And I then took another turn and I started doing more recruiting with the last company that I was with. Business development, recruiting, um, still originating, still managing, still coaching. And the business development side, I think, is something that all of us as loan officers and sales managers really can learn from because it exposes you to not just other areas of bringing in leads and referrals for you to be able to do more loans, but you also learn how to also recruit and bring in diverse people and helping them get to that next level from being a junior loan officer or brand new to the business, getting them more acclimated and coaching. So that part was super exciting. And now the most recent, um, here with Guild, VP of Marketplace Diversity Strategy. And what that means, I am working with several different departments across the country and across the company rather. And Everything from product development, capital markets, human resources, um, our sales teams, our sales leaders, our executive team on having a different approach to being more strategic with our efforts of growing within this space of diversity and having a more diverse workforce. So with all of that comes having the right support, um, having the right tools, the right programs, but it also starts at the top. So... It's a brand new role for Guild. It's a brand new role for me. And with my background and experience, we felt that this was a very unique opportunity to kind of grow and see it from a different lens. And it's been great. I'm with a very forward-thinking company who really wants to grow in this space. And they're very passionate about first-time homebuyers. That's basically our bread and butter. And who are the first-time homebuyers over the next couple of years? Mm-hmm very diverse community. So mm -hmm. very excited. Absolutely. And, you know, we usually talk about underserved borrowers on this podcast and more and more we've been talking about first time home buyers because it, because it can be especially hard, especially in this type of market, um, just to achieve getting your, your first home. So I think we have a lot of people, um, paying more attention to that, you know, in, in an unaffordable market, but it seems you have a very impressive background. Um, you've worn a lot of different hats, but it seems like your goal in every position has been pretty steadfast, which is how do I help this community? So I want to ask, why is it, what motivated you to kind of take on that role within every position you play? I think it kind of goes back to my parents. So my parents purchased their first home back in 1986. And in 1986, they didn't really understand what they were doing with even applying for a mortgage. And at the time, I was eight years old. My sister was, what, nine, 10? And they were looking to us to kind of help them translate some of the things that they were looking at and reading over. And keep in mind, 1986, the interest rates were around 10%. So my parents were very, very fortunate that they had a little bit of money. They didn't have a lot of guidance. They didn't have a lot of support. The community mainly were renters or living with other family members. And for them, it was, it was pivotal because they felt that if we had a home, 
near a good school that we would then evolve to having opportunities to kind of help us in the future, not just with education, but also being raised in in a neighborhood with other families, other people that also have full-time jobs and kids that are diverse, just like us. And when they purchase their home, just seeing that they just didn't have the resources, that they were looking to their two little girls to kind of help them. Even the realtor wasn't as helpful as one would think, let alone the mortgage company that they were working with. And I believe that it was actually a bank, not a mortgage company. So they didn't get a ton of guidance. And that always stayed with me that I always felt like, God, if someone could have helped my parents a little bit more, they could have really done more. They could have put down more money. They could have avoided mortgage insurance. They could have bought in a different area. Um, they could have shopped differently. But at the end of the day, it, it really helped us because it gave us a home, a neighborhood that we were raised in and gave us an opportunity to, again, surround yourself with people that were, were a little bit different than, than the norm of what we were used to in a neighborhood that was, again, mainly renters and people that didn't really care so much about education and upkeeping their neighborhood. So this definitely changed our trajectory for our future. Mm -hmm. My sister and I both graduated from high school. My sister graduated with her associate's degree. I went to college. I didn't graduate. Um, That's still hanging over my head. Um, And that's a different story for another time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it just seeing that and not just my parents, but also family, friends, neighbors that just didn't have the resources to kind of help them. And when I became an assistant, I that was always in the back of my mind, like, what can I do? What can we do as a community to continue to help people like my parents, like my cousins, like our neighbors, not only to understand what they're doing, what they're getting themselves into, but also the opportunity of becoming homebuyers, because it really helped my parents down the line. After 10 years, they were able to refinance to a lower interest rate cash out. And at that time, rates were in the high sevens. So I'm just Mm -hmm. prefacing that because I know interest rates currently are a little bit high, but it didn't stop people from buying homes and it shouldn't stop people from buying homes today. But they cashed out on their home. They used that money to completely rehab the home and also put money away for my sister and I to have a little bit of money to go to school. And then they paid off their house 10 years after that. And that's still the home that they live in today. And I can tell those types of stories over and over from the people that I've helped over the last 20 years, people that never thought that they could even qualify for a mortgage, had no idea what a mortgage was, had no idea that owning a home was even obtainable for them, that it was even an option and how it helps build generational wealth the way it's done for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a great story. And I think it pinpoints a lot of the things the community is still currently struggling with. Um, like 42%, around 40% of Spanish speakers admit to having limited ability to communicate in English. So that kind of um, puts the responsibility on us a little bit to bridge the gap. So who do you think is responsible for for kind of guiding these borrowers through? Do you think the the loan officer is responsible? The lender should be able to facilitate relationships that um, 
that that will serve them better? What do you think needs to happen? Who's going to take ownership of that responsibility? I think we're seeing something very unique happening. And what we're seeing right now in the marketplace, a lot of different banks and mortgage companies are now really stepping up on providing materials that are either Spanish or Tagalog so that people are able to understand what they're reading in their native tongue. And some organizations have actually translated a lot of their disclosures. And it was one of those things that happens with any other industry. It's like someone always has to make that first step before the rest follow. Now, the GSCs have done a very good job. They've translated a ton of different material on their websites, but that's not enough. Their information that's on their websites correlating over to what loan officers are sharing. I think, yes, it's definitely the responsibility of the loan officer to really understand the material. But at the end of the day, it really should be the material should be in their native tongue. So let's just keep it for like Spanish, just for the sake of the conversation, so that they understand what they're actually signing. If we look back to the crash, 2008, 9, and 10, a big majority of the people that lost their homes due to foreclosure, they were signing documents in English that they didn't really understand. And yeah, they had realtors, they had even loan officers, or even their kids helping them translate those disclosures for them. But that's not enough. It should really be that they have to understand what they're reading so that they know exactly what they're signing. And I think that's where we're seeing the industry that's going that's to start heading into is having those materials and disclosures be in their language of choice so that they actually understand what they're getting their sums into. Because the purchase of a home is probably the largest purchase that one will ever make in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's definitely the loan officer's responsibility, but it's also the company, the organization to really provide those materials in that language. And it's something that's never been really discussed until recently. So again, it it takes one individual, one organization, one company to really step out and start doing that. And we are definitely working on that as well. That's a huge initiative for Guild Mortgage. So we hope to have translated disclosures over the next year. We already have a ton of marketing materials and it doesn't stop there. It's not just the marketing. It's also the the statements. It's also the websites. It's the mobile applications. So it's not just the application. It's not just the disclosures. It's more than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... Providing, you know, Spanish uh, material to these borrowers seems like strategically the right and and simple answer, but actually implementing it, uh, you know, across a variety of documents and throughout the process seems, uh, you know, very complicated, but definitely helpful and worthwhile to these borrowers. So you're you're an industry veteran. And I, I I love to ask people about the 2008 recession and their experience there whenever people tell me that, because it, it was such a curious time for me. But um, since you work with, you know, not just Spanish speaking borrowers, but you said, you know, a wide variety, you know, of underserved groups. Um, we know that immigrants and a lot of ethnic minorities were the targets of subprime loans or 
or like you said, just kind of had a misunderstanding of the process or what they were signing at the time that could lead to complications down the road. And they ended up suffering um, disproportionately because of it. So can you talk about maybe your experience? What were you doing at that time? Um, and how do you think we've changed um, as an industry since then? Well, I think as an industry, I, I don't feel that we were as regulated as we should. We weren't as responsible. We weren't lending responsibly as we should. Looking back, you had people that had really good FICO scores that were janitors or clean the cleaning crew. And because they had such good FICO scores, you would have people in the industry, loan officers, that all of a sudden gave them glorified titles. So this janitor was now an engineer and they would have they would state their income on an application and completely miss where where the customer actually is at financially, where the debt to income ratio wasn't accurate. It wasn't accurate for so many different reasons because they were not taking into account their income. They were not taking into account their um, debt. They were just looking at bumping up their actual gross income and stating their income. So that got a lot of people in trouble because if you think about it, that person was no was not making nowhere near that money and he comes to paying his mortgage and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now my mortgage is 4,000. I'm just putting a number out there, $4,000. How can I pay for this? Well, had the loan officer taken into account what they actually made, that would have made a huge difference. And it wasn't just that. There was also the pick a pay where you had four different options. You had the 15-year term, the 30-year term, the 30, I'm sorry, the interest only payment, and then you had the option arm. So you had four different payments that you can pick from. And what people didn't realize when the market started turning and all of a sudden, you are in a negative amortization. Well, now you owe at the end of the year where you were thinking, well, I'll just pay the minimum because it was an interest only or it was the option arm. Well, now you're completely underwater on your property. And that continues to add up throughout the years. So those programs were not necessarily geared for people that were W-2, like even your stated income program. That was more for people that were self-employed that didn't show all of their income on their tax returns, that's who those programs were for, not your standard W-2 customer. And, and those programs were taken advantage of by so many different people because the goal for those people at the time was, let's just get them in the home regardless of what came after. Mm-hmm. It's not just important to get people in the home. It's even more important to, to keep people in their homes. So a lot of people were really being set up for failure And of course, with the crash, you know, came coming, people were completely underwater in their homes. And you asked, Katie, where was I at the time? I was at Wells Fargo. And I think that at the time, we were doing a lot of HARP loans. So it was the home affordable... Well, what did HARP stand for, actually? I don't remember what HARP stands for. So basically, HARP was giving customers an opportunity to refinance at either no cost to little cost and no questions asked. Some of these programs didn't even verify your income or verify your assets. 
So it was a refinance to help people get into a better position financially. And a lot of companies did a lot of good at the time. But a lot of people still lost their homes. They were just underwater completely that they just couldn't really come up for air. And I think the other piece for the the whole market when it was turning back in 2008, 9, and 10 is that people didn't have a lot of support. I don't think that our industry was prepared for what came. I think today we're much better positioned. But at the time, you didn't have a ton of support with foreclosure prevention, with modifications. They just didn't have the bandwidth. They didn't have enough people. So people were getting behind on their mortgages and it was easier to foreclose on those people as opposed to making or working out deals. There were people that were trying to get modifications, but it was six to 12 months later that they were getting a response. There were just too many. We couldn't keep up. So a lot of people certainly got the shorthand of that, sadly. But I think it was a lesson for us as an industry to be more regulated, more regulated as an industry, but also looking to real estate agents, uh, appraisers, even the comp that loan officers were getting at the time. So I think we've definitely come a long way. Um, appraisers also were put on notice. Um, they brought in the HVCC, the Home Valuation Code of Conduct at the time. And that really changed things where back in the day, a loan officer would call his appraiser and say, hey, I'm refinancing this property and I need $400,000, $300,000 to make it work, even though the property wasn't worth two hundred. dollars Well, that appraiser friend would work his magic and give them that appraiser that they would give them that value and no questions asked. Mm-hmm. And that's how we continue to get in trouble. Well, now because of HVCC, now you have AMCs, appraisal management companies that are basically getting around Robin. You're not able to select your appraiser any longer. Now that's a little bit more um, regulated as it should have been since day one, because you don't have that pressure or you're not, pressing that appraiser to come up with a particular value. And it wasn't just for refinances. It was also for purchases. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a very interesting time. We've learned a lot. We've definitely come a long way as an industry. And I think we're going to continue to learn a lot from those from those few years. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com. Absolutely. And I think a lot of brokers ended up getting blamed um, for a lot of what happened. Like you said, it was just an unregulated industry. These programs were not feasible for these borrowers. Um, But, you know, in media, I think even in the movie, The Big Short, the brokers kind of get a bad name out of it, Um, even though some might have just been trying to help. Like, I have this loan that can apply to you and and just doing it, you know. But um, un- unfortunately, there were, there were consequences because of that. And they ended up getting a lot of the blame. Um, but do you think after the crash and the fallout, there was some hesitancy to go back and help these borrowers, like immigrant borrowers or you know Spanish-speaking borrowers? Do you think people were more afraid? I think 
people were just cautious. Um, I think being afraid was always the unknown because people just didn't know like what was going to come out of even trying to start up again or trying to start a new application or on the customer and the consumer side, you know, I feel like they lost a lot of trust in the Mm -hmm. industry. Um, So, yeah, I mean, people were definitely more cautious and a lot of people got out of the industry completely Mm -hmm. and decided to do something else. And for the few of us, well, there are more than a few of us, but for those of us that stayed, it was painful because the regulations came in and then you had Dodd-Frank that came in and it completely shifted the way we were doing business, everything from applications all the way to pre-approvals, to underwriting, to closing, to appraisals, to title companies. So it was definitely a little different and hard for us. More paperwork was left for loan officers in a good way, Mm -hmm. in a good way. Mm -hmm. That's interesting what you said that you have to regain their trust because, you know, hopping into um, a different um, community of borrowers is not easy for anyone, especially if they're very, you know, different from yourself. So gaining trust is one of uh, the bigger aspects to that gain trust. Don't just throw them a sales pitch. Um, Trust is very important in the relationship. And we hear a lot. There are so many benefits to working with the the Hispanic community and all, all of these other communities as well, but they all have their, their own advantages to them. Um, you know, the Hispanic community, Latino community are very close together, very tight knit. And, you know, you're advertising by word of mouth spreads really fast. So what do you think the, a loan officer who wants to dive into this, um, should do um, strategically, maybe marketing strategy wise, um, or in building relationships and starting to network? Do you have any advice for them for someone who's just getting into this? I do. I think speaking the language is very helpful. But for those people that don't speak the language, it's not all end all be all because there's a lot of Hispanics that speak English. Majority of us speak English. So I think it's just really wanting to have the desire to help that community. And people will see through that. For someone who wants to help, you'll see it. And it starts there is wanting to help. And from there is identifying real estate agents, organizations, um, nonprofits that are in front of that community. And for those loan officers to start making introductions to those people, those real estate agents, and not just real estate agents, state, um, not state farm, insurance agents, financial advisors, uh, tax accountants, and yes, nonprofits, start getting in front of those people to tell them, how can I help? And just being that genuine about how can I help and that simple, people can start having those conversations where financial literacy is still a huge need for minorities. And as a loan officer, starting there with how can I help and teaching a little bit more of that financial literacy can go a long way. But it's identifying first, who's already serving that community, if you're already not. So if you want to get into that community, and you maybe you're not even Hispanic, you don't have to be Hispanic. Here at Guild, we have so many loan officers that are not Hispanic that are serving that community. And there's so many others in our industry that are already doing that because they genuinely want to serve that community. They've got real estate agents that are Hispanic. They've got attorneys, accountants that are actually making those introductions to them. 
But from there, it's having also the right programs and products. Because there's some programs and products that are more tailored to some people, just like any other customer. Mm-hmm. It just, it's everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Having the right products. And then, of course, having the right support. So the support can be the marketing materials that you have. Having your operations team really understand that type of clientele. It's a very, some Hispanics are very unique. Some of them are very cash driven where they have their standard steady uh, W-2 income, their paychecks, and then they've got a side hustle that they've got going on. Or they are Uber drivers or delivery or what have you. So they also have some cash that's coming in and being able to understand that and structure that appropriately so that processing and underwriting understand it as well. That support is also very important. Mm-hmm. So working with a lender with a wide variety of, of products um, is is definitely useful for, for underserved borrowers, you're saying. And yeah, do you notice them? I mean, sometimes people notice trends like Gen Z gravitates to this sort of loan. Do you notice for, for underserved borrowers in particular, um, do they gravitate towards certain products? Is there anything that a loan officer should definitely look out for? Well, it's really interesting that you ask that. I think people have a misconception of Hispanics and they think that Hispanics uh, don't have enough money. They don't have down payment. um, They don't make enough money. Well, that's not very true. At least half are fluent. So college educated, some are starting to have more C-suite job roles. So we're, we're, we're shifting that a little bit. So for those... I think your standard products are just fine. They're still a paper borrowers. Now for the others, you've got some people that, yes, are, are driven more towards your um, FHA, where the down payment and the underwriting guidelines are a little bit more flexible when it comes to your debt to income ratio. But then you've got like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they've got the 3% down. So yeah, and just like any other population out there, you've got some people that are first-time home buyers that don't have that down payment. Well, the same thing for Hispanics. Now, the one thing that I will say is very unique to majority of Hispanics, not all, is the ITIN product. So ITIN are for customers that came to this country, don't have um, a social security number, but they get an ITIN number and they are filing taxes, they're paying taxes, and they want to get a mortgage. Well, that's where the ITIN comes into play. Many lenders have gotten behind the ITIN product, including Guild Mortgage, recently because we know that that's a need. Now, it isn't for us to say this is a niche for us. This is more a statement of what we're doing for the Hispanic community more than anything. And I think that goes a long way of our statement of like, hey, we're going to do ITIN loans because we know that this is important to the Hispanic community. But again, it's not a niche for us, but we know that these loans perform very well. The down payment is a lot it's a lot heavier than your standard one. I think it's right now 15 to 20% of down payment. But again, they perform so well, the default rate on those loans are less than 3%. That's huge. So that's the only really, really unique product, in my opinion, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Hispanic community is the I-10 product. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you brought up, you know, misconceptions. I think that's what what holds people back from a, you know going after new borrowers is, is these misconceptions that are out there. And it, it's unfortunate because Hispanics and Latinos are 
uh, predicted to make up 70% of home ownership growth in the US over the next 20 years. You kind of touched on that, that it's a very large growing community of first time home buyers that are going to to come in. Do you think the the mortgage industry as of now is ready to accommodate that rush? Or yeah. is there more work? Yep. And what what can we do to to help ourselves? Oh, where? How much time do we have? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> go off. <laughs> no, we are not ready. And I think there's so many organizations that are really stepping up to really deliver the message of how can we be more inclusive? How can we do our part? And it starts with us. It starts with companies and it starts at the top. So having buy-in from your executive team is very, very important. Serving the community is one thing, but also being able to employ is another. And that is equally important because people want to genuinely do business with people that look like them. And that's that's a fact. And that's in any industry. And we don't have enough diverse loan officers operations in the mortgage industry today. We're doing better. We're certainly doing better from when I first started in the industry. And I think that we have a long way to go. But I see so many different companies, banks, mortgage companies, credit unions, really changing the way that they are doing business, but the way that they're even recruiting, even the people on their operation side. And I think it's really important to start at the bottom up and top down. So it's not just the top, it's not just the bottom. So it's bringing in people, giving them that career path and help helping them give, give them a career. Mm-hmm. And then for the people that are out there that are gonna be mortgage ready over the next couple of years, it's being able to market to them appropriately with the right products, with the right people, with the right literature, the right marketing. Having more inclusive marketing too is very, very huge. Where you want to see people like you getting a mortgage. You want to see people um, with your background, with your profession, getting a mortgage. Because then you're like, I see myself doing that. I see myself becoming a homeowner because of what I saw or a commercial. So... I think we're doing a better job. Um, I do see the initiatives that are happening across the country. I know our initiatives are forefront for our growth and it's important for our growth where we certainly are looking to continue to bring in more diverse operations, give more people an opportunity. Even when it comes to a loan officer, we want to bring in junior loan officers that are more diverse, teach them the business. Our industry right now is an aging industry. And I I can't remember the number, but I believe that your average loan officer today, and I think NABA is the one that came out with this, the average age of a loan officer is in the mid 50s. So that means that they're going to be retiring in a few years. So we have to bring in younger people, teach them the business and letting them go and get more business and serve these communities, Hispanic, Black, Asian. I think, yeah, that definitely touches on a point we we talk about a lot here is, is hiring uh you know more diverse people to work in this industry because relatability is is a huge factor and talking not everyone can relate to you know 50 year old white men so you know it's important and i think it's probably easier to to have someone diverse come in and teach them the industry than have you know a regular white male and have to teach them spanish i mean you could do it either way 
but you know, why spend the money on training? There's already so many people out there who want to learn more about financial education and need, you know, a career path, a great career pathway, um, just like being a loan officer sets up for them. So yeah, go ahead. And I, let me just add also, I think our entire nation is confronted with the fact that the number of people that are more diverse today is very different from where we were even 10 years ago. Our country is changing. And there's so many other industries that have basically stepped up and have recognized this healthcare, retail. We are still behind the ball. Like we we're way behind, but I think we're starting to really make an impact with more diversity initiatives across the country. That is critical, critical for the way our country is continuing to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Gen Z is the most diverse demographic um, that we have on record so far. And the trends that we're noticing coming out of this are are interesting. Like we don't care. You could be a high income Gen Z borrower and you don't care that you live across the street from affordable homes. Um, so, you know, zoning laws and things, they just think differently as home buyers than than other generations. And if you want to work with Gen Z, with these new borrowers that are coming in, that's a very diverse demographic, like you said, and you need to be able um, to accommodate for that. Um, do you, does Guild work with a lot of, you know, Gens, do, have you ever seen Gen Z's come in? Do you work with a lot of younger borrowers? Yes. And although some of them still have not entered the housing market yet, a huge portion of them, according to Realtor.com, have found that over 70% would rather purchase a home than rent long-term. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to market to Gen Z is a huge opportunity. Absolutely. And you mentioned this um, at, at the beginning of the podcast that you had some loan officers for your company um, recognized for their performance. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and what the, the award was about? Uh, I think we're talking about NARA potentially. Yes, yes. It was, um, yes, it was uh, named nine loan officers from Guild Mortgage to the eighth annual um, top 250 Latino mortgage originators report for 2022. So, I mean, can you talk? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sure. So NAREP is the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. And every year they put out a report of what they call the NAREP Top 250. With the NAREP Top 250, they identify loan officers that are at least 50% Hispanic who have done really well in serving the Hispanic community. And they're not looking at the production for only Hispanics. They're looking at production only. And they're looking at it from either a dollar or volume number or a unit count. And nine of our loan officers made that list. So they are at the top of their profession. They have exceeded the number that NAREP is looking at to give them this really awesome recognition and award that they're able to be at the top 1% of the industry for Hispanic professionals. They also do the same report for the real estate agents. That's that's not my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is on the mortgage side. So for us to have nine people announced at the NAREP Top 250 at their conference that they had here in San Diego last month was a huge win for Guild. 
Because even though we haven't always had a strategy behind more diverse segments, we're already doing a lot of things the right way. Now we're looking at it as, wow, now what what could we do? How much more, how much further can we get with a strategy, a real strategy going after those communities, partnering up with those real estate companies and communities that are within those pockets, serving those communities, how much farther can we get? So now we're like, oh, maybe we can get more than 10 come next year. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal is to continue to bring and bring up more people making that NARA top 250. Awesome. And you also collab with NAREP um, to present the, I think it's called the Latitude Conference, um, which has been, it's been going on. I think it was incepted in 2018. Can you talk about the the collab there, how that works and, you know, a little bit about the conferences? Sure. So this year they actually brought in over 6,000 people and NAREP at Latitude. So Latitude is their events portion of what NAREP is. So they're bringing in real estate professionals along with everything else. So we're talking health, we're talking um, the entertainment industry, um, other organizations like the IT space, um, and, and a couple of others. So they're trying to bring them both together. And this is something that they've put on for the last couple of years. And this was the first year that Guild was actually part of this conference. Um, we had over 30 people in attendance. We had a booth. We had three different speaking opportunities. We also hosted a lunch with over 130 people that we just wanted to connect with people out in the communities and ch- chat with some of these chapters. And for us, it was super important to partner with NARA because of all of the work that they've been doing. So NAREP isn't just helping real estate professionals understand and educate and coach them through what NAREP is and how to continue to help those communities. They're also pushing for policy. So it's more than just the coaching, the education, the networking piece. It's so much more than that. And that's something that Guild has been behind for quite some time. We've definitely helped shape some new programs that are out there with people like our capital markets EVP, because policy matters. Policy is important to us. And our partnership with NAREP is just the beginning. And this is something that was in the works um, right before I started. This was something that I was pushing. And it's brand new. It's a brand new partnership for us. And we're so excited to be part of NAREP because of all of the work that they're doing, not just at the local level, but even down in DC and with the policymakers. Amazing. Yeah, that's definitely important. And just to sum up everything that you've been talking about today, you know, you know, Guild offer offers a lot for underserved borrowers. Um, why should a loan officer that wants to serve Spanish clients or already does serve Spanish clients work with Guild Mortgage over any other lender? Oh, that's a great question. And look at me. I mean, I think you have to put your well, what's the saying? You got to put your foot where your mouth is or or, so, or put your money where your put, mouth is, yep. I think is what they call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually went and I came after Guild. And the reason I came after Guild, I basically was knocking on the door. Hey, I want a job here. I was looking at a couple of different things. I was looking at a company that had a good reputation, a company that already did well with serving diverse communities. And I wanted to be with a company that was forward thinking. And forward thinking comes in so many different shapes and sizes. 
But I wanted to be with a company that also understood the importance of having representation, not only within like their sales teams, but also part of their executive team. And when I came to Guild and I asked them, you know, what would it take for someone like me to be part of their executive team? They were already in conversation, bringing somebody with the role that I currently have into their organization. And it was basically fate. And when I joined Guild, I saw immediately that for Guild, it wasn't just about checking off a box. It wasn't about, hey, we're just bringing in someone because they're Latina or Latino. They really want to have more leaders in Guild continue to show and pave the way for other people. So I think with bringing someone like me on, who has the kind of background that I have on, who's got the passion that I have in bringing a, a, being able to bring all the different departments together so that we are growing across the country, our boots on the ground, the communities, the partnerships that we have is so important that now we're starting to see even more people have interest in Guild because they're looking at it as, well, if they have someone like Victoria, who is Hispanic, with her background, part of their leadership team, and they want to continue to grow people at their local levels, that makes a statement for itself. And I think also is really important to talk about our executive team. They are really listening. And I've been part of many companies, as you learned earlier. Not everyone is really willing to do the work. And not everyone is really willing to invest. And even today, even right now, I understand times have definitely shifted. We're in a very different environment. Guild is still going to invest. We are out in the marketplace right now putting on affordable lending solutions across the country while other mortgage companies and banks are not really showing their face because, again, the environment has completely shifted. We want to continue to let our partners know our loan officers know and our customers know that we're still out there. We are still doing business. We're still going to do unique things. We're going to continue to bring in additional programs. Also, we're working on so many different other things like a grant program. We just launched Gateway to Homeownership in St. Louis, which is a grant. And that's just one step in the right direction is being able to identify what are the needs of our communities? What are the needs of the customers that we serve? And let's figure it out. And let's bring those products to market. Let's help our loan officers close more loans. But more importantly, let's help have more loans for customers in, our, in those communities. Mm -hmm. That's great. And it's great to have a big name lender like Guild Mortgage paying attention to these communities and, and you know, showing they care and showing their support. I think that really will make the rest of the industry kind of look at what you're doing and hopefully implement, you know, similar types of strategies. So thank you for coming on and for introducing yourself to our audience and for representing Guild Mortgage and giving us an update on everything that they've been doing so far. It's great to hear. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Katie. It was great talking <laughs> to you. This is Gated Communities, hosted by me, Katie Jensen, for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem-Peror 
and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you've subscribed to Gated Communities so you get future episodes and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society. And the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. This podcast was brought to you by Penny Mac TPO. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to learn more about becoming a partner and starting your journey to greatness. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC. Equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply.